Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. I hope he's not going to tell us that if politics were shaped like a ball, it would be a football because I, for one, am sick of hearing it. But you just think about this 2022 midterm cycle. And I know traditionally we say, well, Labor Day begins the process, at least the final stretch. But let's go back further. Let's go back an additional three or so months. If I were to have asked you what would be the dominant issue driving voters nine months in anticipation or preceding the election, you might have said crime. I mean, do you remember all the the images shown on a loop on Fox of smash and grabs in San Francisco and New York City? Crime remains a very important issue, a very important issue in the Republican arsenal. But for a while, I thought crime, you know, the Soros backed progressive districts attorney Chesa Boudin was tossed out of office. George Gascon in Los Angeles, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. I can make a compelling case that crime was and will continue to be a dominant issue in this cycle. Oh, but wait. Then came $5 a gallon gas, national average, $6 in California. And of course, the gas prices, which seemed like that was going to be at the start of the summer season, it looked like gas prices were going to be the issue of the midterm election, and then it became larger than gas. It was all of inflation, and we reached what? A 40-year high of inflation. Ah, but there's more. I feel like Ron Popeil, because then came Dobbs and the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which had been anticipated since the draft opinion of Alito was leaked, but now we saw it for real, and not only did we see it, but then came the Kansas referendum, And the New York 19th Congressional District outcome. And now we knew, wow, this is really a potent issue. I had a Democratic pollster of three decades on the program about two weeks ago who said that in his 27 years, he has never seen an issue like abortion. Then came Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, Ron DeSantis, Governor Ducey as well, but really DeSantis and the vineyard and the border, the stunt. Yes, the using as pawns, but the shining of a light on what is going on on the border. As a matter of fact, I saw a story. It's in the Times print edition today. Headline, two million who crossed border illegally were arrested over the last 11 months. Two million. And of course, none of us look at that and say, all right, two million apprehended. Wow, they they shut that down. Because instead, we all say two million. My God, how many got through? That never gets said, but I think that's a large part of this. Crime, gas prices, inflation, abortion, the border. Ah, sadly, there is more. Russia. Russia, as of today, because Vladimir Putin, very early this morning, our time, 
delivered or aired a rare videotaped address to the nation. He stopped short of calling for a full national draft, but instead called for a partial mobilization of people with military experience, which means he's calling up roughly 300,000 reservists. He accused the United States and Europe of engaging in nuclear blackmail against his country, warned that Russia had lots of weapons of its own. Quote, to those who allow themselves such statements about Russia, I want to remind you that our country also has various means of destruction, and some components are more modern than those of NATO countries. And then the key paragraph, I think, was this. Said Vladimir Putin today, if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will certainly use all of the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff, he said. Is it a bluff? That's the poll question at Smirconish.com today. Is Putin bluffing? I want to say more about Russia and these latest developments. But I should also add to my list that just as soon as I said, well, now it looks like it's Russia seven weeks out from the midterm election. But the Fed chairman is going to speak later today and maybe announcing another interest uh, increase, interest rate increase, in which case we'll probably be back to inflation come tomorrow. Thomas Friedman is really uh, a prescient because he's in the print edition of today's New York Times. You know Thomas Friedman, the Pulitzer Prize winner, The World is Flat, The Foreign Affairs correspondent for the New York Times. What's so interesting is that you'd swear he wrote his column today, three paths toward an endgame for Putin's war. You'd swear he wrote it after Putin had those remarks aired in Russia. But he didn't. He actually published this yesterday. It just made the print edition today. Last week, he says, was an interesting week to be in Europe, talking to national security experts, officials and business executives about Ukraine. Ukraine and its allies had just forced Russian invaders into a chaotic retreat from a big chunk of territory, while the presidents of China and India had seemed to make clear to Vladimir Putin that the food and energy inflation his war had stoked was hurting their 2.7 billion people. On top of that, One of Russia's iconic pop stars told her 3.4 million followers on Instagram that the war was turning our country into a pariah and worsening the lives of our citizens. In short, it was Putin's worst week since he invaded Ukraine without wisdom, justice, mercy or a plan B. And yet, says Friedman, maybe I was just hanging around the wrong people, but I detected a certain undertow of anxiety in many of my conversations with Ukraine's European allies. He goes on to then game theory, game theory exactly how's this going to end. So let me, before I tell you his three potential outcomes, just underscore that despite last week being Putin's worst week and people now thinking openly, speaking openly about an all-out Ukrainian victory, Friedman nevertheless said he felt an undertow of anxiety. And that was before Putin today rattled a nuclear saber. He said, we still don't know, as I probed the question in my conversations, how the war could end with a stable result. I discern three possible outcomes, some totally new, some familiar, but all coming with complicated and unpredictable side effects. The short version is this. Outcome one is a total Ukrainian victory. 
which risks Putin doing something crazy as defeat and humiliation stare him in the face. Outcome two, says Tom Friedman, is a dirty deal with Putin that secures a ceasefire and stops the destruction, but risks splintering the Western allies and enraging many Ukrainians. Outcome three is a less dirty deal. We go back to the lines where everyone was before Putin invaded in February. Ukraine might be ready to live with that, and maybe even the Russian people would too, but Putin would have to be ousted first because he would never abide by the undeniable implication that his war was completely for naught. The variance among the outcomes is profound. Few of us will not be affected by which way it goes. You may not be interested in the Ukraine war, but the Ukraine war will be interested in you, in your energy and your food prices, and most importantly, in your humanity, even as the neutrals, China and India, have discovered. The one of these that interests me the most is is outcome two. Let me just give you some of the fine points of that, and then I'll take your pulse as to how you're feeling about this turn of events with regard to Russia, where Putin today delivered a videotaped address to the nation and said, I'm bringing up 300,000, and I won't hesitate to use nuclear weapons. He didn't say it in those terms, but he said it. On outcome two, the so-called dirty deal, I cannot imagine President Vladimir Zelensky accepting a ceasefire or something near it right now with his forces currently having so much momentum and his having committed to recovering every inch of Ukrainian territory, including Crimea. But keep this outcome in the back of your mind as winter sets in and Putin's refusal to sell natural gas to Europe drives up energy prices so high that it forces more factories to close and poor Europeans to choose between heating and eating. Even though it would mean Putin's war again falls far short of his goals, he may be interested in seizing this outcome so he has at least something to show for all his losses and avoids total humiliation. In other words, this is the deal where there's not a total Ukrainian victory. They don't they don't recapture all the land in the east that they've lost now or lost previously. Instead, that is going to be ceded to Putin and a deal is going to be struck largely at the behest of European leaders who need the fuel that he supplies and are worried about escalating fuel and energy prices. Says Tom Friedman, a lot of European leaders would grab this deal, even if they will not say so out loud. Here's how a retired senior European statesman who spoke on the condition of not being quoted by name explained it to me at a business and politics seminar. The goal of Ukraine is to win, he said. The goal of the European Union is a bit different. It's to have peace. And there's a price for that. Some leaders in Europe would be ready to pay the right price. The U.S. is far away. And for the U.S., he added, it is not the worst thing to keep the war going to weaken Russia and make certain it doesn't have the energy for any other adventures. To be sure, he said, the EU is more united than before the war started. However, in the next few months, things will get quite difficult. There will be a big divide in the EU, and it will get more and more difficult because the goals will become more and more difficult. The former statesman said, even if the public statements are the same, the EU is divided on how to deal with the war. There's more to it, but I think you get it, right? That the e- He's really saying in the second scenario that the EU is about to buckle. And when they buckle... There'll be pressure brought to bear on Ukraine to cut a deal with Russia and cede those easternmost regions to Putin so as to avoid 
escalating prices and the further threat of nuclear war if Putin will take that deal. Read it. It's it's, of course, uh, posted today at Smirconish.com and it's in the newsletter. Three outcomes, according to Tom Friedman. Total Ukrainian victory. A dirty deal where Putin scores a ceasefire and stops the destruction, but it comes with the splintering of the EU. Outcome number three, we go back to the lines where everyone was before Putin invaded in February. But for that to take place, the guy's going to first have to be ousted. I am open to your thoughts on Russia and Ukraine in particular, and also the bouncing ball. Where's it going to end? On one of the issues that I identified at the outset or on something that's not even on my notes in my notes crime gas prices inflation abortion border russia inflation again on what will americans be voting in seven weeks this is the smirconish podcast from sirius xm Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. I think I posted my final gardening, maybe yes, second to did. last, video of the year last that night. That was very cool. Red Wedding? Yes. Did I get that right? <laughs> no. No? Well, yes. Yes. Red Wedding from Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Yes. Okay. Right. I, I thought, thought it was, was hilarious. pretty hip and cool. Too. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Mitchell, you're in Bergen County. Greetings. Is Putin bluffing? I think the whole... Uh, nuclear strategy around the world is a giant bluff when you think about it. Uh, And I think that, uh, I think he's definitely bluffing. Look, and I'll tell you why. Because Putin's big fear was uh, always that NATO would be expanding. And if he's worried about NATO, why would he be? I'm sure he's worried about uh, employing nuclear uh, weapons uh, to try to gain some, uh, to try to win the war over there. That would, you know, bring in all the countries that he's so panicked about to begin with. So I think he is bluffing with that. The other thing is that I think Friedman is very possibly onto something with the European Union. I think the change of governments in England and Italy uh, are going to, you know, possibly get different reactions from the coalition uh, towards the Ukrainian war. I see another, a fourth possibility on how to end it if if it stays protracted. One, that Ukraine would turn over land in the Donbass back to Russia. And in exchange, uh, uh, the Ukraine would be admitted immediately into uh, NATO. I can never see see Putin going along with that, if that's part of the deal. 
I mean, that's well, that's what I mean, you know. To 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 hear. Let me let me let me see if I can articulate this the way that I'm thinking of it. To Putin's way of thinking, Ukraine itself was not enough of a buffer. Right. I mean, that's the whole reason he invaded Ukraine is because he thought NATO was being too aggressive to the west of Ukraine. And now all of a sudden to allow Ukraine to be I don't think he could ever stomach that. I don't think so. I, you know, I, I don't think so. I, I don't I don't think either side could stomach it right now. But it, when you think about it, if they're taking losses, <laughs> that could change his mind. If he's getting pressure from uh, internal pressure from inside the country, that's threatening his uh, control of the country, you know. Mitchell, go consider it as a way out. Go cast your ballot. You you believe he is bluffing. The whole world is bluffing when it comes to nuclear weapons. I don't know how this turns out in terms of the, I I hope that a nice simple is Putin bluffing is going to capture people's attention and we'll find out. Joshua, Alexandria, Virginia. Thank you so much. What did you want to say? Yeah, well, before I, I'll stick with the midterms real quick first, which is uh, I'll, I'll reiterate what a caller yesterday uh, advised you about the reverse freedom ride. Um to look into that. Uh, but moving on to Russia, Adi's not bluffing. Um, he's, he wants all of Kyrgyzstan uh, uh, oblast, right? Because the Novohokofa Dam, which is the water canal that feeds Crimea, that was part of the narrative that he was committing genocide, yeah, that Zelensky was committing genocide uh, because the water was being cut off to Crimea. So he needs all of Kyrgyzstan, Luhansk, Donbass. Uh, he'll probably forego Kharkiv at this point. But the issue you're going to have is, is we could stumble and actually escalated on our part because you know they're like military personnel from NATO, probably in Ukraine, right? And if he tries to go after the NATO supplied weapons and he ends up, say, doing a strike on a uh, NATO military uh, team who's delivering these weapons, that, that country is free to invoke Article 5 of NATO, right? Uh, so that, that, that can increase the conflict to an all-out war. And for nuclear weapons... He's going to have to use nuclear weapons against NATO because he's outmatched, right? But he, it doesn't have to be the big mushroom cloud that everybody thinks about, right? He can do a demonstration over the, the water with a mushroom cloud. He can also use non-strategic nuclear weapons on the battlefield, which are super small, so small, in fact, that we don't even we can't even be sure that he used them without actually walking around with, you know, radiation detection gear. If he so, were to if uh, if he were to use a nuclear weapon that could be confirmed, does NATO stand idly by? I mean, what happens then? You know what I'm, you're reminding me of, Joshua? You actually just sit with me for a second, and uh, uh, I think I've got the audio. So Sunday night, President Biden was on with Scott Pelley, uh, made a lot of news on a lot of different levels, talking about 2024, talking about the pandemic, but also talking about Taiwan. Taiwan uh, received, well, let's listen. What should Chinese President Xi know about your commitment to Taiwan. We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago, and that there's a one-China policy, and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving, we're not encouraging their being independent. We're not, let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. After our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. An unprecedented attack. Hmm. I mean, how is it that we can justify we would immediately come to the aid of Taiwan, but not Ukraine? Uh, probably because we have a much, much longer standing relationship with uh, Taiwan. 
Uh, it's, it's a huge economic uh, driver with the chip industry that we would not be able to replace. Um, and once you take Taiwan, I mean, you're not taking it back, right? It's an island. It's a, once, once they take it and they set the fences, that's gone, uh, especially under with something like a, a military the size of China. Um, I don't know, you know, not without looking at a map, you do, you know, how far is Taiwan from Japanese islands? I know there's a lot of contested islands between Japan and, and China. And that may be, you know, something too far for Japan to take. Joshua, thanks for the call. A lot of good thoughts that you offered, and I appreciate it. Joe the Nerd, where have you been, Joe? Thank you for your phone call. Uh, hey, I'm just a happy idiot struggling for the legal tender. <laughs> Aren't um, we all? Aren't we all? Um, you mentioned, uh, like, the bingo card of all the issues. I had uh, radioactive uh, rabbit alligators coming out of the swamp. But uh, when you talk about... Um, uh, the interest rates that are going on, uh, it may be uh, that they're using those interest rates uh, against China and India because uh, last week, isn't that where uh, those countries were crying uncle to uh, Putin? So this may be part of our economic war in order to, uh, convince, to, to convince Putin to back off of Ukraine. Just the thought. It may be a thought that it's Freeman it's beyond have, yeah um, beyond my beyond my knowledge and expertise. You're you're saying that Jerome Powell's policy might be with an eye toward foreign policy. I'm not. By the way, I'm not dismissive of it. I'm just trying to frame exactly what you're wondering. That's exactly what I'm saying because hmm. we are using economic warfare against Russia, right? So one of our biggest weapons is the Fed. So. We're, we're just we're just weaponizing our interest rates a little more, and that's going to put pressure on India and China to to get them to lean on Russia to back out. I'm surprised I'm not seeing people, Joe, call me now and say now is the time for at at, at a moment when Ukraine has had some battlefield victory and Putin is now getting antagonistic. Now's the time to bring pressure on Zelensky. To resolve the differences, and if he can cut a deal, I hate to put the pressure on him, but if he can cut a deal and cede eastern territories, then the world is in a better place. I'm not articulating that as my view. I'm just surprised others aren't saying it. Why should he give up Donbass, and if he can go for Crimea, why not go for it? Well, if it could bring this all to a close, would it be worth it? I think it would be. They're in for a dime, they're in for a dollar at this point. I don't know. I mean, that that's that that is that is scenario three. Thank you, Joe. By the way, I appreciate uh, hearing from you. That that is scenario three from scenario three from uh, Tom Friedman says the following outcome three. This is a less dirty deal, but with the Russian people, not Putin in this scenario, NATO and Ukrainians propose a ceasefire on the basis of the February February 24 lines where Russia and Ukrainian forces stood before Putin's invasion. Ukraine has spared more destruction and the principle of the inadmissibility of changing borders by force is upheld. But Putin would have to admit to his people we suffered some 70,000 casualties. I think the Russians are telling their people that the numbers under 6,000 lost thousands of tanks and armored vehicles and experienced terrible economic sanctions. And I got you nothing. 
Of course, it's impossible to imagine him saying any of this, but such a deal could be in the interest of the Russian people. So as far as I can imagine, Putin would probably have to be ousted by a popular mass protest movement or by a palace coup. All blame for the war could be pinned on him, and Russia could promise to be a good neighbor again if the West lifted its sanctions. Zelensky would have to keep up his dream of recovering those areas of Ukraine seized by Russia in 2014, but Ukraine could begin healing and at least resume the process of joining the European Union, maybe even NATO. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. In Kansas, this is Sarah. Sarah, greetings on all those issues that I listed. Crime, gas, inflation, abortion, the border, Russia, inflation again. Which is going to dominate in seven weeks, if any? Uh, Michael, I would say from my kitchen table, it's going to be the abortion issue first and foremost. I'm one of those, you know, hundreds of thousands in Kansas that voted to uphold our rights. Uh, to be able to have our own bodily autonomy. Uh, so I, I, that's personally where I think that's going to come from. At the same time, um, I am driving through rural Kansas and watching cornfields be harvested, which is an awful lot of expense uh, based on diesel prices. Uh, it's going to impact food prices. And so I see where a lot of people are going to vote from that inflation side uh, and uh, from the idea of gas prices. Right or wrong, they're going to blame one party over another for the gas prices, even though that's probably not the, the case. Uh, but they're going to look for a place to put their frustration. So you you are at ground zero for the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and you say it's going to carry all the way through for the next seven weeks. Absolutely. I, I maintain that there are issues that will, thank you, Sarah, there are issues that will dominate and people whose names we don't even know today. Or, or who was the guy in the, uh, oh, my God, I think I just thought of him, the red sweater. Like, remember the, the guy who oh was gosh, in the, Ken, yes. Ken, it started with was a B. A vest? Sweater, sweater vest. Ken B, I think, something. I don't know. Like, there are people like that out there. He was at the, he was at a debate, as I remember. He would, Steve Scully would remember this immediately. Ken red sweater guy. Ken red sweater. Oh, yeah, red sweater. Ken Bone. Ken Bone. Ken Bone. I said with a B. You did say that. And you said it was a sweater. I said it was a vest. And you were right. It's the Ken Bone factor. Like, there are people out there who, you know, things happen. You just don't know exactly what's coming. That's amazing. Is anybody voting on today's poll question? Don't lie to me. Over 6,000 votes already. It's all right. That's that's more than all right. We're 42 minutes into the show. Is Putin bluffing? 
and is running 54 to 46%. Interesting. Really close. Tell me. I want to know. No. He's not bluffing. No, I won't tell you. No. I, that's, oh, no, he's no. not bluffing. He's, that's the answer is no. Eric, you're in <laughs> South Florida. Greetings. What did you most want to say? Hey, Spirit uh, First time caller. Just want to tell you that, or, or, or my opinion. Um, Putin doesn't play by the rules that we're all attributing to, let's say, world order. Everybody's thinking like you're on chessboard and, and he's going to make some kind of a logical move. He's not. Right. I don't think he's bluffing it at all. Um, and because he just doesn't think the way we do. Um, if you attribute to him the, the fact that he might also be sick, um, he might take the attitude that, hey, if I'm going down, I'm taking you guys down with him. I have a negotiation question for you. I don't know if you've negotiated. I, I've negotiated as, as an attorney in many, many different scenarios. If you are not bluffing, it's actually like a psychology question, too. If you're not bluffing, do you say, I'm not bluffing? He said, this is not a bluff. Do, do people who are not bluffing say, I'm not bluffing? I, I, w- I, would, I would think so. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, I'm asking um, you an impossible question. And I, and I'm, I'm, asking, gonna, I'm asking you a very difficult question. I don't know the answer. You're thinking that somebody's got something to gain. He's pushing and, and he knows what he wants. I think he's going to go for it. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's just an opinion I've got. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate a first-time caller. If the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will certainly use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. That's what he said. Is he bluffing? Go vote at Smirconish.com. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.